Once again, folks, here in Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, what's up? And how you living? Hopefully living pretty well. We're here live once again in Chaz Tower. And uh, always answering and asking the question, how you living? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Um, Seattle's uh, mayoral race is going on at the moment. So that's kind of been on my mind these days. But other than that, no. Uh, pretty good yeah we've got uh several elections uh going on in the state in the city and uh we're uh we're going to talk about uh, a couple of them and uh give you some uh ideas as to uh where you may go with your vote obviously if you don't live in the seattle area uh apply the techniques that we're using to kind of evaluate our ballot in a way that you might evaluate one of your local elections or ballots and uh and and look into uh how you're using your vote um you know maybe there's not always a candidate in an election that you necessarily like or get behind but possibly something on that ballot is important to you so we definitely uh instruct you to to pay attention to to your ballots indeed and uh as always um we do uh start the show with a uh an introductory segment that we typically like to call callbacks. That's right, or as it was once called, callbacks. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, callbacks this week are pretty generic for me. Uh, essentially, um, calling back to everybody to uh, first of all uh, keep an eye out for any ballots or any. Uh, measures coming your way in the next couple of months some happen later in the fall so definitely keep an eye out for that and also a call back to be vigilant in contacting your state representatives uh in regards to the health care bill that's still moving its way through um it's definitely in a position where if we're making enough noise uh they may have to kill it and and possibly involve the democrats closer in the process and maybe get some of the revisions in uh, "quote unquote" Obamacare uh, added to the uh, the system that they vote on, for sure. Um, so yeah, hopefully uh, those things are uh, gonna happen, and you uh, you're playing a part of that because uh, representatives in your area are the ones that could be the one that uh, changes the direction of that bill. So a callback to that. Do you? Chaz, my friend, have any callbacks this week? Uh, I just want to call back to just looking into Indivisible, and uh, those guys are doing great things uh, over at those town halls. Um, and uh, our primary is uh, August 1st, so look out there to see if you guys have a primary in your area that happens on August 1st. Hopefully you can all get out there to vote um, and make sure like you stay, because a lot of the time this is when like local stuff in your city, in your area comes up. 
like the year after a presidential election and people usually go city elections what yeah. like the last time we did this we were still high off of obama getting a second term there was a there's political apathy mm-hmm. post election for sure post major elections like that especially an election as divisive as this last one was mm-hmm. it is really easy to decide to just check out of the system right and de- depending on which side you're on no matter which one uh that's the wrong move <laughs> the real move is to get down and dirty and actually keep your voice heard you know and and if you're on the progressive side of things like a good portion of Seattle is and and typically a, uh, an area we can admit this show leans towards you know for sure and uh, and you know we give our best to to give voice to our side and we hope to uh, to encourage people that we know that that vocalize that to maybe get on the show one day and help bring faces and names to the uh, to the opposing uh, viewpoints and and for per- sure and perhaps give some dialogue that that we can construct in in making like a bridge between these ideologies that seems so so like against each other at certain points but in reality there is a lot more common ground i think than we than we were willing to uh to admit I, on both sides oh yeah for sure for yeah. sure yeah i mean there's there's a lot of people making a lot of hard lines and yeah yeah and yeah. i can understand why and there are definite yeah there are definite like major issues that are creating some of that um dichotomy but uh you know that being said uh that's the callback so uh contact your your representatives as well to make sure they're representing you and keep track your local elections and now uh we can focus in on the episode chaz Who's going to be mayor? Maybe it'll be you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so uh, the list that I have, if you went to, like, for instance, the most generic thing before we get into the official ballot there, Seattle mm-hmm. mayoral election 2017 on uh, Wikipedia. Uh, let's just, just to give, you know, and Wikipedia not necessarily always the most uh, accurate, but it lists as declared. So that might not necessarily fall into the category of they actually filed as far as everything. All right. It lists 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. So it has the accurate count as to what you said the ballot said uh, earlier. So mm-hmm. so there are 21 declared that are listed as well as the Wikipedia. Two city council members uh, were declined. And according to this list, nine people were withdrawn, including current incumbent mayor Ed Murray. Yep. So with that being said, uh, what do you got there, Mr. Uh, Chaz? So I got the ballot in front of me. It says city, city of Seattle mayor, nonpartisan office, vote for one. And the ones on the list um, from starting from the top is Carrie Moon, Harley Lever, uh, Michael Harris, Keith J. Whiteman, Jesson Farrell, Dave Kane, Thom Gunn, Gary E. Brose, Mike McGinn, Jenny Durkin, Jason Roberts, Tanel Cato, Alex T. Zimmerman, James W. Norton Jr., Larry Oberto, Casey Carlisle, Louis, Louis A. Jones, Nikita Oliver, Mary J. Martin, Greg Hamilton, and Bob Hasegawa. There you go. And those are the same uh, 21 we had. All right. And then uh, with that, um, who do you think out of those names, to your knowledge, are kind of the 
the front runners and like the top five, ten of six. All right, I I will. I know from all the debates I've been watching, uh, and I'll go from the progressive voters guide. The top uh, six that are running that probably have a chance to get the share of the votes, if you will, are Justin Farrell, Jenny Durkin, Nikita Oliver, Carrie Moon, Mike McGinn, and Bob Hasegawa. Okay. Okay. And uh, the only one uh, direct off just name value I've I've come in contact with so far is the McGinn guy because I, <laughs> I came across his, <laughs> his his pro Sonics campaign, which is yeah. a really interesting take to try and like, because I mean, that's kind of one that the whole city can get behind. For sure. And then at, the, sure. Sa- at the same time, it's this weird like. Uh, magician trick issue you know like I've got this really important thing for you guys I'll bring back professional basketball and meanwhile there's like heroin epidemic and homelessness and like right where's the what is the the identity of this city are we a tech city are we a creative city are Mm -hmm. are we both is that you know are those mutually exclusive right you know and he's running on that and the weird thing is that is the type of strategy that can win elections like that's this. That's true, yeah. You know, it's like, hey, it gets a, a group of voters who are like, you know, I don't really care about any issue, but I do miss the Sonics. Right. So uh, so out of that, that was just the one that I had off name value. Um, but I definitely came to this episode to uh, to get a little bit of knowledge from you. For I, sure. I know you've been uh, paying attention a little tighter to this uh what kind of information do you have to start with for this so what i wanted to play for folks is what i think we can do is we can probably go candidate by candidate okay um uh, of the big ones that i know about and uh, i'm trying to think of uh, you know what i will i will we can go over nikita oliver first okay since i i definitely dare i feel like she's the most polarizing pick of the two yeah, uh, at least from what I see on my Facebook pages and such, and she's a grassroots activist. Let me and, and no relation, of course, to the uh, progressive HBO host John Oliver. <laughs> if only just a separate uh, uh, person, and in general, on the Progressive Guide, it lists her as uh, the first candidate to declare her run for mayor she way back in right. March. And she did. So that that's an interesting statement because obviously a lot of people weren't aware of Ed Murray's decision to withdraw because it kind of followed a little bit of uh, controversy, as it were, you know, some tabloid style issues. There were mm-hmm. accusations. Obviously, um, I don't know enough about the situation to go into that, but let's just say that the it put enough personal pressure on Ed Murray that the continuing in mm-hmm. that office was not an option. Yeah. And before that was even known, uh, Nikita Oliver had already declared as a run. So it's interesting, you know, that's somebody that clearly wants the job. Yeah, no, for sure. And she's definitely like the people's candidate. Uh, she's a constant advocate for the queer community um, and LGBT and also... No, the black community and other minority groups and she's definitely big on housing reform and has big ideas on that um uh, let me see she's a uh, uh, no. reform to the police and yep. how they operate in communities yep indeed and, yep and also uh 
a, a program called the No New Youth Jail Effort, which, uh, without going in too deep of detail, I assume is a is a program to try and keep um, kids, uh, troubled youth, out of uh, the system. Because the problem with the system is, once you get in the system, it's incredibly hard to get out. Indeed. And there's lacks of incentives at a lot of junctures where there's a fuck it mentality that comes with uh, that type of life for yourself that eventually they, they, you know, they do worse and worse things. So that's an interesting, so she's definitely, it looks like, cause you said the grassroots, that's grassroots effort style. For sure. Social program. Building. And she's a part of the new founded uh, people's party. And, and they're definitely all about building those things. And uh, one thing to say, there was something a while back was candidate jeopardy. And uh, the last question they were asked in Candidate Jeopardy is uh, who would they vote for um, if they didn't get into the election? So I will switch to that person next after that. But um, I just want to let people know that, like, her background is being an advocate, an artist, an educator, and a licensed attorney. Uh, so she does. A lot of people might say she might not have the experience to be the mayor, like that legislative experience. But... And some would argue, too, that no, through all her other work, she'll be able to mitigate all the things. And I think as long as she hires the correct deputy mayor, right. that would. And I don't think mayors are like presidencies where you, you run with your deputy mayor like as. No, you find running. you just find someone that complements the job that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some level, if you're if you're good at, at, at uh, personnel, you get someone that brings something to the table, though, as well. So it's um, it's typically, it can be, depending, it's like, because I know more about, like, deputy governors, and mm -hmm. I know that's definitely a position where, because the governor holds so much weight, they definitely typically lean towards the yes man, quote-unquote, yes person mentality, sure. because um, they don't need any... Uh, statewide statements being made that might limit their chances of winning a major election later. Mm -hmm. Now at city level, I could see that being like less of an issue and wanting somebody more as a partner who can help work and at the same time maybe, like I said, bring something to the table. For sure. So and yeah. that's what I would figure too. And I and I and you know not knowing enough about Nikita Oliver, but just kind of this brief overview we've done, and then kind of the times I've seen her maybe on the news and in some short interviews and stuff. Um, that's, she's an interesting dynamic candidate and, uh, and you know, I'd be encouraged by somebody like that, you know, yeah. winning a major role like mayor of a city like Seattle. Um, but like you kind of said, you know, the system may be against her in the sense that, you know, unfor well, unfortunately there's other candidates with more money and, and other political backing. Mm, and, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. like people in opposition for her, they are really big in, uh, not liking maybe her, such her strong stances to the police and uh, also maybe they feel like she'll bring in even more regressive taxes exactly. and everything like that. So Yeah, so pe people running large companies and, and yeah. things may be opposed to that. She's definitely, like, if you're a progressive, because I feel like there were two progressive picks in this, like, team of six, and I feel like she's the stronger progressive pick, so. Okay. And that's interesting because, yeah, there's definitely a bunch of fringe candidates that we're not necessarily going to go into in this that may be even more progressive than than some of these other candidates, but have literally not hit enough of the, yeah. the radar to really be uh, 
an eligible candidate. Um, like yeah, you know, yeah. The six that were doing, they were in debates and they were in candidate jeopardy. They've all been interviewed by a bunch of local outlets and ones that I've listened to. So yeah, so they're the ones that I have a, a more of a like a clear picture of who they are as candidates from everything I've read from. Yeah. So exactly. I think. Um, before we go into the next one, I want to play you guys uh, her statement that she made for King Five. Uh, let me see. All right, I'm gonna do that and then. But uh, yeah, this will be this will be an interesting foray. Right, and then all right. Here we go. This is Nikita Oliver's statement, and after that, we'll go through the next person. My name is Nikita Oliver, and I am running for mayor of our city. Many in our communities are being pushed out by rising rents and property taxes. As an educator, lawyer, and coalition builder, I work alongside all kinds of Seattleites striving to live sustainably and safely every day. As a renter and worker, I not only understand the needs of our working families and those most impacted by the housing affordability crisis, I live it. To be a welcoming city, we must ensure that the most vulnerable can afford to stay here. Now is the time to vote for change. Together, we will build a robust public housing network, pipelines to jobs and education, a public transportation system that moves in lockstep with development and density, decrease our carbon footprint, transform our police force, and provide quality homes for the 10,000 plus Seattleites living without adequate shelter. Vote. For an affordable, equitable Seattle, please vote for me, Nikita Oliver. There you go. All right. Yep, that's Nikita Oliver, the people's candidate. Uh, yep. All right, so we're going to go to the next person. The next person um, she said she would vote for would be Bob Hasegawa. Um, so we're going to switch over to Bob Hasegawa now. He is a current state senator, um, and he comes from uh, a lot of the old uh, – blue collar um union work because he rose up through the ranks as being like union leader and then negotiating for workers and everything so okay definitely he seems to be the one if you're like working class in seattle which like when i go out i don't i don't well i guess i don't really ask but like when i go out to places at least around here in greenwood is definitely more of the working class neighborhoods but if i go out in capitol hill anything like that you don't quite see them so it'd be interesting like where he stands in the city with like who's working and how hard they're working and right like who's more industrial where a lot of the jobs here are uh, tending to lean towards tech so right <clears throat> right and we're le and we've left a a uh industrial past because the the logging and, and oh for and sure mining and milling and all that stuff <clears throat> yeah a lot of seattle's crashes have been because basically we we always have we definitely have been a city throughout its history that has been filled of pockets of uh um, of industry that have popped up and then we've just boomed and then once it goes away it's like oh crap what's gonna happen right but we've always had a new person to save us like it was boeing in the 50s yeah it was microsoft in the 80s yep it's amazon now right <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> and it and it almost was microsoft leading to amazon in the 90s right yeah. exactly so there was kind of a trade off there yeah no you're right no and 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 those partnerships have always faltered to a degree because you know amazon is a global business microsoft actually has a bigger footprint in southeast asia than here 
uh, Boeing, uh, whatever it was, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, moved their headquarters to Chicago, even mm-hmm. though they still operate out of here mostly and had been here for over 100 years. Um, they moved closer to where the uh, airline industry is based. And so, you know, these corporations that they latch onto aren't necessarily partners for life. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their own agendas and goals. So, uh, Mr. Hasegawa, uh, born in 1952, was a member of the Washington State Senate, as you said, as he represented the 11th legislative district since January of 2013. And the 11th district, uh, according to this map of districts, is the area south of Seattle, including Seattle and South Seattle, actually, because he's a state senator. It's a pretty large district. So, yeah, he, he actually already has represented our city. Yeah. Specifically. So. And he's from Beacon Hill. He lives in Beacon Hill. He, again, understands. So it seems like every single mayor understands uh, the affordability crisis. Right. They all just want to deal with it differently. Nikita Oliver, definitely call back to her, definitely wants to deal with it with community housing. And Bob Hatsagawa wants to do that as well. And But he specifically wants to do it by having a community bank, a public community bank that could take in some of the assets that we get from those taxes you know, put them into income engines that allow them to get interest and stuff, and then we can keep borrowing from that, right? And uh, and then giving out loans and such. So well, and and the reason, and that's an interesting idea. And the reason you do that, I guess, would definitely help focus on a longer term goals for sure, because you can create longer term funding structures mm-hmm. be- because the balances would be there. And um, the only, you know, other than the other side is the paranoid person out there who's going to say, you know, whenever states create side budgets or side kind of pocket asset um, rainy day funds, as they're called, uh, their use can sometimes be abused and whatnot. And so um, accountability to those uh, that that bank structure would definitely be key in order uh, transparency rules and stuff like For that. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I think given his nature that if he was elected in that he could get that done because right. he, he, he's been a part of unions and unions went up against all the corporations and such. So, yeah, I mean, and <clears throat> and like as someone who's worked under unions, it's really interesting because unions um, it, the ones I, I worked under and I, I, you know, in another podcast where we talk about unions, I can go into detail. But the ones mm-hmm. I worked for. um you know, a, a lot of times they'd go to bat for us for all of our like social demands for like healthcare and like our pay raise increases and like um, the flexibility of our job as far as like not being asked to do something outside of declared duties. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the interesting thing is, so so as you have unions that have these benefits, some of the some of the um, downfalls that I had in that union structure was like social mobility of of moving up based on seniority because unions have seniority structures you know Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to see someone coming out of that world because they're already kind of balancing two ideologies of you know the worker and the institution itself you know and making sure that the institution doesn't get so big as to ignore the worker that it's built to represent you know and that's yeah, kind of for the, sure so unions are, are are interesting in that sense and you know like i said i benefited from the union and i also was you know victim to the union because if i applied for a job above me um the job would be declared open to the union 
And then the rest of the people who are above me, if they needed a pay increase, could qualify for that job. <clears throat> and just based on union rules, they would get it. Oh, okay. And so it, it's not really like a best candidate necessarily seniority hold held position in this particular union. Oh, um, and okay. it's pretty typical of union structures. Um, it's it's a way of giving tenure some value in company structures. Um, but at the same time, my pay rate was above market average because the union had fought to get us solid pay increases. Mm, for sure. So, and I had a good 401k structure and all these other things. So, oh, okay. so the things that the union fought for were clearly beneficial to me. Um, there were just some other limitations based on seniority for, for upward mobility. So I was just saying that type of structure, that type of difference balance based in the executive style, it would be interesting to see that person apply that knowledge to something like a city. Yeah. You know, where you have the same similar <clears> kind <throat> of interest demands. You've got to create seniority for like these anchor businesses like Amazon and Microsoft, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you can't let them walk all over you. Right, exactly. There's definitely a bunch of candidates, and he's one of them that are saying we have to tax the, uh, tax the businesses more. We'll, we'll talk more about another candidate that seems to be like, He's really big on it, and I'm like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. All uh, right. Uh, let's hear uh, a little something from uh, Mr. Hasegawa. All righty. Hi, I'm Bob Hasegawa, state senator for South Seattle and candidate for mayor of our great city. I'm a lifelong resident of our area, and I still live in the home I grew up in on Beacon Hill. I'm the son of Japanese-American citizens who were incarcerated during World War II just because of their ethnicity. This is why I've spent my lifetime fighting for civil rights and social justice as a labor leader, legislator, and why I was an elected Bernie delegate to the Democratic National Convention. The 1% are dictating how decisions are being made, but as your mayor, we will put the people over profits and stop the regressive taxes and policies that are displacing families who are desperately trying to hang on to their homes in Seattle. So I'm asking you for your vote together We'll reform our city government, address our housing and transportation crises, and live up to our vision as a truly world-class city of equity and sustainability. Thank you. And there you go. Yeah, Obviously. there is something to be said about um, people losing their houses due to property taxes. Like, they can have all their mortgages paid off, but if the tax property taxes become too much, yeah, they're getting priced out because of that, right. too. Because we keep saying, oh, yeah, you want to do ST3? Put the money on the houses. And then people, like, like even if it's just, you know, $600 more a year, that's still maybe too much for people on fixed income. So. And the media is even, like, local media is, like, even fueling it because you're mm -hmm. constantly hearing stories of, like, oh, my God, tiniest house ever sells for almost a million dollars. Seattle housing on it, boom. And <laughs> right, it's right. It's like, yeah, but the other side of that coin is eight neighbors of that house their property taxes just doubled because uh -huh. you know and same in that same story and if they're a renter at, of any sense they're probably getting you know pushed out so that people that can, yeah. will pay more come in so exactly yeah housing is is a very difficult issue um and it's one that uh so far progressives have kind of unfortunately ignored 
mm-hmm. on the West Coast because we saw what happened to San Francisco. We didn't prevent it in Seattle, and we haven't prevented it in Portland so far. Uh-huh. And so the real progressives need to walk that line stronger and find out. I mean, I don't know if it's rent control or what it is, but it's something that you have to do in order to, yeah, give some value to people who want to live in a city long term mm-hmm. and that the, the city progresses because of their type of dedication and their value and when they work or if like for in his case serving as a public representative um, needs to get paid back in the sense that they're not just consistently priced out because then we're just replacing good citizens with random citizens and there's a good chance not all those random citizens are going to be as community oriented as people that have lived for generations in a certain area, you know? Yeah, and for that, sure. And that involves all different ethnic backgrounds and economic backgrounds and, and, and cultural backgrounds. So, you know, it's, it's an important issue. Who, who do we have next? So we're going to go to former mayor of Seattle from 2009 to 2013, Mike McGinn. And Mr. McGinn, of course, is the previously mentioned uh, mayor for the Sonics. Mayor for Sonics. So uh, swish, swish. <laughs> hoping, hoping for the swish. Hoping for the uh, Steph Curry three pointer. <laughs> Step back. Uh, I mean, interesting story on that. He does have a partner in crime. I don't know if he's endorsed him at all, but he does know that there's an owner who's yeah. a Microsoft exec, Steve Ballmer, who still owns a house here. Oh, yeah, Steve Ballmer. Of the Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> and Los Angeles, of course, already has a team known as the Lakers. So in his back pocket, he does have an owner who who, who curiously may want to move a team. And then there's always the uh, the chance that a team folds because there's been there's been a few teams that, like on the right. East Coast. So I, I, I've always found it because I watched the debates – and there were it was him and and Jenny Durkin were both in favor for it um but other people were kind of like uh hold up like i want to know what good would it do for the city above other things right that the city needs exactly like i like it but it still feels like it's kind of a novel novelty that's a little bit unnecessary right like that space when it's not like basketball games happen on like Tuesday, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Right. Right. So like on the days that those aren't being used, what else is it being used for? Right. How can it be utilized even more? Why shouldn't we build housing there instead? It's kind of I think a big thing that goes there. So I'm like, I kind of support the Sonics. Well, like oh, I remember. I think the question was, do you support um the Soto Arena? Or do you just um, support doing something new with Key Arena? Right. And I guess I support more doing something more with Key Arena. Me too, as a taxpayer, even though yeah. the argument is that in the current like way they build arenas as far as the NBA is concerned, everything is these megalith, giant, like Barclays Center in Brooklyn style. And one of the attractions is the multi-level suites that they charge these corporations big buku dollars for. Mm-hmm. Oh, buku dollars. And so uh, when you have a place like Key Arena, no matter how you rebuild it, unless you really tear out everything around it, you're not going to get that type of structure. There's not enough room. Yeah, yeah, that's and, the problem. And that's why they left. Right, and it's interesting because it's like they could drop the floor again, just another like 10 feet, and then maybe do some type of pro action where they can get the roof up a little bit and 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 make an additional 10,000 get in there perhaps. But 
Uh, that's not what the NBA wants. That's not what necessarily investors want because they won't recoup all that money as quickly. Right. And I guess, well, so I, I know at Key Arena now there's a lot of live concerts. Yeah. So if it became like a, um, a good live concert venue, then I could see that bringing in more revenue because definitely you want people who can get jobs there as well. Like I could, have you made the argument of jobs versus housing for that? And do we need have more people who need these secure working class jobs? And will that be able to add to the livability because more people have jobs that are paying well? Um, but then a lot of those jobs are very seasonal, so it's kind of like. Eh. Well, and interestingly enough, Key Arena hosted the WNBA All Star Game last night. Oh shit! And uh, it, yeah, the uh, the Eastern Conference lost one twenty one to one thirty to the host Western Conference. Oh damn! But yeah, so the Key Arena, you know, is host to uh, a bunch of events. Yeah, I forgot we still have we have the Seattle Storm. So if you want to see basketball, you can only see it during the summer. Uh, but you know, it's an inexpensive experience. Yeah. Um, and it's right in, it's right on the bus line. Uh, it's a great complex. It's like, it's unfortunate they didn't have just a little more vision to know that this whole sweet structure thing was going to be what dictated arenas in the future. Cause just a little more space for that arena. Right. And, and just having, uh, the space needle there and like, it's just, it's kind of a perfect little setting. You know, it's kind of unfortunate that that it, it, I mean, it is getting regarded as kind of a second nature, second tier thing, because the city's probably going to mm-hmm. do something with that. And uh, they don't see that an NBA team can be there, but they're actually talking a possibility of NHL playing there. That would be Joe. Yeah. And then. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I. Yeah, it's. I think we're giving a lot of uh, detail to Mike McGinn's one little side policy, so maybe we should just. Uh, no, no, I wanted to talk about that because I feel like it. it it's. It's it may seem like a small issue, but I do think it's a big issue that it was brought up in a debate. So, I feel And it's like an applicable trope for people that are listening abroad or in other yeah. areas because I'm sure it's something you've seen other teams do mm-hmm. where a candidate is like, hey, you know such and such team's going to leave if we don't get an arena deal. I'm one of those deal makers. Right. Vote for me and we'll keep, <clears throat> we'll keep that arena here and we'll keep your favorite team here. So I'm sure... Sports teams as a ploy for your vote is a uh, is a common theme for sure throughout the country. Uh, so what else do you got on Mr. McGinn? But he does have some good bullet points on his whole thing. He says cut unneeded spending, uh, fund the basics, uh, provide safe housing, and give neighborhoods a say in their future, and hold the line on property and sales taxes. And I actually do agree to uh, agree with hold the line on property and sales taxes. Right. When I found out, like, we buy shit here. And when I moved here, when I first moved here, I think the tax rate was 9.5 right. or 9.4. This is in 2008. I could probably go check that. But, but I won't because we're speculating. Right. Uh, and uh, or I guess Mikkel. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> anyway. Um, but now it's like 10 and there is a measure that we can vote for that would raise it up like like an nth of a notch. And I guess I'm just like, oh, man, like with inflation plus that, I'm kind of like it is more expensive to live here in ways that I don't quite remember. But then there's ways to make it a little bit more economical if you know where to go. But definitely trying to like maybe if we can take a step back on the taxes by finding revenue other places. 
I would have probably considered that mayoral candidate more. He he basically just said, this is something we've got to do. But he never really, in what I heard is, well, no, I shouldn't say that. He said, we got to look at the budget and see where it's kind of like fluffed up in places and kind of like trim it down. So he, Mike McGinn feels like the most conservative candidate Okay. Um, here because he's talking about, you know, balancing budgets and everything. But it's not really a balance. He's basically saying that there's a surplus and he's maybe thinking that the surplus isn't being utilized um, in a way that is the most effective. So he wants to kind of look at that, drill down in there, and then just like dissect it all and everything. Right. And according to the Wikipedia, <clears throat> officially declared as a Democrat, so he would definitely be on a, the conservative Dem side then, or conservative liberal. Oh, oh. So, side. so he, so he's okay. <clears throat> so um, then the, I, the only declared Republican in the race and. We may not even talk. There's two. We may not talk about either. Is Gary Bros, okay. who, who's simply described as an entrepreneur, <laughs> and whose major platform is for more traffic lanes for cars, remove homeless from public areas, and maintain fiscal discipline. And oh, then, that's conservative as fuck. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's, he's flying the red flag. Fly it if you want it, and whatever. And then the other one listed is a Louis A. Jones. And neither of these people have side articles you can click on. So even Wikipedia is kind of declaring them friends just for the description. Mm-hmm. There are articles you can find. But then it's uh, he's a Republican, uh, small business owner. Um, he's pro-Russia, <laughs> and uh, he wants to... Uh, he does want to reduce greenhouse admissions, and so does Mike McGinn. Actually, he has a platform. <laughs> he has a platform to, according to this article, says he wants to punish adultery in order to stop the spread of HIV. So okay. Okay. also, also okay. a French candidate. So there aren't any official Republicans really in this race. It's a lot of kind of uh, liberal leaning candidates, but Mike McGinn, I would say is, yeah, is probably the closest to a conservative liberal. We have yeah. In the yeah. He feels very pro, much like pro business, like neoliberal seems to be yeah. right. Which we do need more in the, in the coming future. If we're going to kind of start bridging this divide, mm-hmm. these are the kind of people that can create arguments that maybe could sway the Trump voter that a uh, call back to last oh, yeah. week that we described that there is Republicans, there's Democrats and we've created a new element, which is the Trump voter. It kind of is that's true outside the fringe of, of current political ideology in a way. Clearly he ran on a Republican ticket, but that was just like a means to an end. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, it's funny. It's actually, I saw a Ted talk or sorry, I watched a Ted talk uh, that basically said that Trump voters and uh, super progressives are on two sides of the same coin. And I was just like that. That's like a very, very, like that's paraphrasing like a mofo. But they they, def- <laughs> they use that argument though when yeah. I, when you study polarity mm-hmm. that they talk about extremism on either side is extremism. And, yeah, and and yeah, it's interesting. All right, so we'll see what uh, Mike McGinn has to say. Hi, I'm Mike McGinn. People in Seattle are getting squeezed by rising rents and home prices. And the answer to every problem from City Hall is new regressive taxes. If you wanted to design a system to drive people out of town, this is what it would look like. Growth that benefits the wealthy with the impacts of growth paid by for those in the middle and at the bottom. Here's what I'd do if I was elected. First, we have to get a handle on our budget. It's grown by $250 million over the last three years. What we need to do is cut unneeded spending and redirect it to our priorities in neighborhoods and for those in need. 
To the extent we need money for new initiatives for affordable housing or better transit, let's tax the big corporations that are doing so well instead of uh, taxing people with sales taxes and property taxes. Finally, I've held the job before. I've worked to balance budgets. I've dealt with garbage strikes. I've made sure the streets are plowed. I want to put that experience to work for you and build a better future for Seattle. All right. There you go. Interesting. So uh, he did serve prior. Indeed. Um, and he ran in 2009 previously and was elected. And then ran again in 2013, but ultimately lost to Ed Murray, who served ever since. Indeed. So interesting. He announced his candidacy in April. So kind of during the uh, the beginnings of, of, of some of those articles coming out that were against Murray and a, about some of his personal life. For sure. Um, not quite hitting the full steam that it hit in May when, when we had the official de- mm-hmm. declaration. But okay. Uh, he, uh, he's got a history, though, which is always a thing that's interesting uh, when you're dealing with political leaders is you can kind of see how they operated... Um, in the reality, um, as far as politics go, and it, you know, he's so he's voted on things essentially, and and, and yeah, and pr- he, he proposed things, and uh, so you know, he's not as much of a uh, um, question mark, I guess, as some candidates, as we were saying, like somebody like Nikita Oliver, who we would we would want to see in that position, and would hope that the position would lend itself to someone like that and that they mm-hmm. could then apply their own techniques. But then somebody, I guess, that's looking at it from the perspective of, oh, no, this is a very specific office, might say McGinn has that kind of quality of, well, we know he's been there. For sure. So that's kind of a day. Are we looking for a day one approach type thing where they're like, you know, which which was an argument to kind of use the old analogy, um, Hillary supporters um, me being one of them at the time, uh, we were using is is Hillary is a, is a day one candidate. Like yeah. she's already been in an office, she's already served this current administration. And I agree with that. Yeah, and so so there's always yeah there's definitely always. Uh, That's that. why for me she was the de facto second choice. Right. Like right. being a Bernie supporter, yeah, I want progressive change. So like if I was a Bernie supporter and I was transitioning that over to this race. Um, I would be picking Nikita Oliver, but right. if I was a, a former Hillary supporter, I might be choosing other candidates or, or in this race. Or Hasegawa, as as he did yeah. step up and was declared a Bernie supporter, so oh, he, yeah. he put his name on the line there, so... Uh, uh, yeah, either one, I would say, yeah. yeah. Or definitely, I think either one, if they were like leading, would support the other. Yeah, and they and during Canada Jeopardy, they both said each other. Like when asked with the question, like three of them gave really BS answers. Like one and like Jessen, I'm sorry, but you didn't even answer the question. And like ugh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, we're we're getting into personal issues with Chaz because he is a quiz master. So <laughs> the fact that there was a Jeopardy based mayoral <laughs> thing is just like his brain was must have been firing as he watched that. No, no, it was fun. Um, it, but then it was funny. It was McGinn and Gary Moon both said 
basically we would support anybody who hasn't gotten corporate like basically corporate interest and it, it was a it's basically a shade at jenny durkin okay right we, we'll, we'll go we'll over go all over. those people soon but as i digress yeah <laughs> okay so i think that's a that's a good we've given a, a good spotlight on again and we've we've also touched on the idea of people using fringe issues i.e in that case the professional basketball um, as as <coughs> as ways to um, attract possibly outside political supporters to vote mm-hmm. in a place like Seattle. I mean, I I could look up the the percentage of 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 voters, but I'm sure it's probably in the high 60s for sure. So that means if you can get any fringe percentage, five ten percent of non-voters to vote in this election because you create an issue that they find important, uh, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a good way to win mayoral races. For sure. Like all day long. So uh, who do we got next? So I'm going to head over to Jenny Durkin camp since we kind of like since since Mike McGinn threw some shade at her. And when it like when it comes to their political ideologies, I feel like they fit kind of together in uh, that fit, too. And she's interesting because she's uh, been she worked for Obama. She was the first openly gay U.S. attorney in our country's history. She has a lot of support. She has. She's also raised the most money. She's the most like corporately entrenched, and that's kind of like a boo for some of Seattleites. But there's other Seattleites where I feel like that's a huge gain, and that's where like and that's where I'm stuck at on this candidate. Right. Um. And so she's currently the age of 59 not that ages matter but some people kind of utilize that to give an idea of what what person was dealing with when they were growing up she did grow up in the area so yeah there's a there's quite a few local people yeah in this race um she grew up in the esquaw area where my father lived for the previous 15 years so Uh I, i i am familiar with that um i wasn't familiar with her in the time that i was there but um yeah, so uh, she is local, and um, like you said, she does have national um, recognition and, and experience and has been officially endorsed by the Seattle Times, Oh, which is also a problematic thing because the Seattle Times, who knows what corporate structure owns that at this point? You know what I uh-huh. mean? Like the media consolidation. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. And she's, I, she is the corporate pick. Like, yeah. you have corporate business interests, if you're um if you want businesses i wouldn't say business no no i would say business as usual but for us business as usual means oh fuck right the city is fucked right they unless yeah. you're a huge investor status quo right. politics yeah exactly yeah so like, we're not gonna mess up the water yeah <coughs> i'm keeping the fat kid out of the pool kind of situation right you know yeah, like, and and the thing is jenny but see jenny has also done some activist work and everything and well so i shouldn't say activist work that's wrong um uh, just she has supported things to like being an attorney and defending people of that sort so and so she definitely speaks a game where she is talking the the lingo right in a sense but it feels like lip service to me sometimes honestly right <laughs> and that, that professional political speak yeah it, it is interesting because it's it's trained so it's definitely been utilized previously to success for sure because it's a way of articulating certain ideas and that people in already <laughs> administrative or already supervisorial roles see that and so i could see a candidate with her type of experience utilizing that kind of politico speak because mm-hmm. there is a section of the poli- the the voter that is like 
that looks the most like somebody I think does this thing that I don't know much about. So, right. And, you know, as opposed to their own ideals and values, they just see it as like this role. And I also like with her in the race, I wonder what it will do for the queer vote because Nikita I mean, has probably the young queer vote for the most part, but she might have the old queer vote for the platforms. And then she has it because because she has walked the walk in the line. Yeah, exactly. Stood up for, for that. Yeah, that is interesting. So like she in it in I forget in what form, but she instead of seeing people of color, she said colored people. And that was problematic. Yeah, but yeah. like that one, I heard that I was like, Ugh, that just complicates things more. Yeah. <laughs> and, um. All right, and so uh, let's hear a little something from her. All righty. Hi, I'm Jenny Durkin. I'm running for mayor because I love Seattle. I was born here, and my partner and I have raised our sons here. Seattle is a fearless, compassionate city, but we risk becoming two Seattles, where too many people try to struggle to live and work. We can make Seattle more just and equitable. We can solve the problems we face, like affordability, homelessness, police reform, and climate change. By working together, we can do it. We need a mayor who shares Seattle's progressive values and can provide steady, bold leadership. I'm that person. I know how to bring people together to tackle tough issues. That's why I'm endorsed by labor unions and community leaders, like Mayor Ed Murray, Governor Chris Gregoire, and the Seattle firefighters. I was proud to serve for President Obama as your U.S. Attorney. As your mayor, I will remain on the front lines of social justice and civil rights. Together, we can build a better future. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, yeah, interesting. All right. All right. We got two more candidates to go. Next, we're going to go into uh, Justin Farrell. Okay. And uh, that's... Also listed, of course, so as we mentioned before, as a Democrat, was a state representative from the Fighting 46th District. Yeah, Fighting 46. Which, uh, according to this uh, map, is uh, um, legislation 46. I'm not sure, actually. It's kind of a... Because the, the state ones are a little more specific. That's true. It says, like, it looks like, la oh, it's North Seattle. That's where he's at. Okay. So, Legislative North, so he's been representing North Seattle. That's she. Uh, excuse me. She's been representing North Seattle. What more do we have on her? Uh, let's see. So, she, and I believe she was, uh, a, not a lawyer. I think she has a law degree. And she's definitely in her statement. Some of the bold things that she has is a proven track record for progressive policy results. She has definitely been in the like her and Bob Hasegawa are the two who have been in state politics. Uh, so it's kind of like an interesting dynamic. And she has used her state, uh, her position in state politics to do things like she was a big proponent of st3 and getting that through and so definitely when i think it comes to the legislative side of things i think she'd probably be like really really good at that okay and let uh, me see and i feel like everyone is like delivering transportation relief uh, increasing affordable housing. Like, everyone says increase affordable housing. Like, there's no mayoral candidate of this six that's not saying that. So yeah. it's it's really, and I think we said that earlier, but I have to emphasize, like, everyone's going to say that. 
supporting public schools and definitely she says prioritizing your quality or our quality of life so and uh yeah she is a local she grew up in the lake city area which is the north seattle area which is the area that she represents with the district makes sense as well as how hasagawa represented beacon hill in south seattle wow this race is so great it's super local man it's super local it's north seattle versus south seattle which is really interesting because they have different values yeah they do they both do have low-income areas so they, yeah, they, Lake City is becoming gentrified now. And and the Aurora Corridor <coughs> is under her command and definitely parts of the where, where we live near uh there are parts that could use some some investment. Mm-hmm. And then he's from the South Seattle, so you have the Rainier Valley and yeah. and then what's going on there in Renton and that whole area that he represents. So mm, they sure. definitely have mixed structure both which do have very affluent areas as well, though. Yeah, that they're representing. So, um, and and some people would say the Lake City area gentrification is is that is leaning in that direction. But yeah, because that's a definitely <clears throat> a, a very blue collar part of town. Yeah, and it's becoming. Uh, and when the dive bars start going, that's when you're going to be like, "Fuck, man." Yeah. And right. uh, so. Yeah. We, we don't want that to happen and uh and that's interesting and then with him yeah he's got beacon hill where he's from is has become uh more affluent and, yeah and then parts columbia of city that's getting gentrified to shit yeah so interesting local race so uh more about jessen uh what do we got uh let me see i'm trying to think of what else that she said differently oh then definitely she's a big proponent about when making the city affordable we have to make the whole city affordable so i definitely remember that uh, a huge reason why a lot of the developments have been subjugated to certain parts of the city is because um the more wealthier places basically just banded together and said hell to the no right <laughs> so right right well, and you have certain communities that feel already <clears throat> closed off from the system, places like West Seattle, right. that have a very strong neighborhood structure. And so a lot of the value changes that have occurred on West Seattle have been very kind of closed door meetings based on what yeah. they, they wanted. And then they kind of force the city's hand just based on the, the, the like employment migration of their population. And West Seattle is <clears throat> interesting because... Like a lot of that development is happening in the Admiral area, right? Um, like which is basically because West Seattle is kind of like its own island in a in a sense peninsula that it, it juts off. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, people in the city like to think it's too isolated, so it kind of feels like its own little ecosystem, right? And it has like three main neighborhoods. Uh, uh wait, I'm saying sorry, it's for the people who don't live here. That's what I'm saying it for. Yeah. Um and uh, so there's uh, Admiral Alki and the Junction and the Junction is sprawling out, getting a lot of high rise buildings, right, and everything like That's that. Like the California Avenue, yeah, area, and then Admiral's more towards the north end, yeah, and then Alki is uh, it's facing west, which mm-hmm. is kind of our city's known beach, yeah, it's kind of our like like Venice Beach if Venice Beach was smaller <laughs> yeah yeah it's a cool it's a cool little spot to go it's, to it's a sandy beach in seattle it's kind of rare but this time of the year it's it's popping yeah it, it's summertime if you 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 want to see what it is you should go alki a-l-k-i on mm-hmm. the west seattle and uh yeah w- what more about that in its isolated structure uh so definitely 
definitely Admiral and Alki have seen some development, but not a lot. But the Junction has seen the bulk of it. The bulk of it. And yeah. So they're Ch- definitely getting like gentrified in that sense too. Changing in housing costs. Yeah. In the Admiral has definitely led to gentrification in some areas, yeah. and also if not um, class changes where people had to be in a, a, a higher income level in order to afford that area for sure so. a friend of mine was moving out of um, a, a house that got turned into a triplex and her portion used to be six hundred dollars a month and dude was going to jack it up to nine hundred dollars a month yeah right so i mean and it's it, not even the whole yeah right i mean and it's like it, it, it's a you could call it a one bedroom it's, it was like one bedroomish studio it was all long long corridor it was, it was cool yeah all right, and uh, so what do we have from her statement? Let's see what she has to say. Oh. Well, it's not much if you keep it muted. Yeah. As it were. All right, here I'm we go. I'm Jess and Farrell. Nobody likes being left behind. That's why I led efforts to bring light rail throughout Seattle so that we can spend more time with our families and less time in traffic. I led the push to raise the minimum wage and worked with neighbors to expand affordable housing so that hardworking people can keep up. I'm inspired every day by the people I've served and excited to bring proven leadership to City Hall. As a legislator, executive, and mom, I have the experience and the perspective we need in our next mayor. As mayor, I'll fight to make childcare more affordable, address the homelessness crisis, and ensure we aren't being priced out of the neighborhoods we call home. As a public school mom, I'll be a true partner for our schools and all Seattle families. Because in Seattle, nobody should be left behind. Let's move forward together. I'm Jessen Farrell, and I'd be proud to serve as your mayor. Wow. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> right? She came with the heat. Right? <laughs> Yo, she dropped mom twice <laughs> in a 90-second blurb. <laughs> About running a city. She said mom twice. <laughs> Someone's going after that MILF vote, yo. Someone's like, yo. Sorry, crass guys. I'm taking this I'm taking this serious and I'm not objectifying all lady candidates. Oh, but she dropped mom twice. So that's important to her for us to know as a mom. Okay. Well, yeah. she's she's the mom candidate so far. So Right, yeah. She's she's curtailing that mom vote, which is, you know, that's a good vote. That that is you, a good vote to I, get in the I, city. I love moms. And, and I know I know a few moms. Yeah. So that's an that's that was an interesting strategy for that ninety second video. She hit the meat and then she hit the heart a little bit. Right. With yeah. The, with the leveling the playing field and then the uh the public school statement. Yeah. was interesting. I'm yeah. I'm a public school mom. Yeah, she's like I ain't got that private school money, baby. Wow. It's <laughs> interesting. Like yeah. interesting candidate. This is this is an interesting race. It, it man. totally is. Wow. And it's she's got experience and and that kind of likability factor. She was pretty she was pretty casual in that as as, yeah. as far as these videos have been. Um uh, McGinn, who's pro- who, who's held the job, looked the most awkward doing the video, which yeah, is hilarious. He was, he was so breathy. He's literally <laughs> had this job before. <laughs> it's like you're applying for a position you've held. Like it's all right. Oh, like man. I think he. I mean, I feel like he does play a good balance between playing up that he's done it before. Like when he made and the new challenges that he's gonna have to face. Yeah, yeah. When he made the comment about the like the trash trucks, I was like. Th- 
do, do you really think someone else couldn't do that though yeah well, well he <laughs> said yeah the yeah the labor crisis essentially for the sanitation workers what that was mm-hmm. and literally what it was was that the city wasn't uh giving enough money in their benefits package to people that had been cleaning up the dirt and trash of this city for the last 30 years and so to some degree his administration dropped the ball on that one yeah yeah he managed to you know fix it after the fact but yeah it's interesting that he's that's now a declared victory that whole debacle was part of ed murray's rise in 2013 though too so it's interesting that he his way of trying to curtail that same kind of problem from that election is by saying well yeah there was a problem that arose but i fixed it Uh uh so but uh, but then the interesting thing is that with with the shade that ed murray's getting from the media and you know his allegations uh, it's interesting that that's the moment McGinn has chosen to come back in the limelight. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm back. Uh, all right, I forgot to cut checks for them sanitation workers, but I'm still a baller because remember, eventually I cut them that check, so I'm sorry you were mad about that four years ago. But, <laughs> but look at how terrible that guy was, right? Like, that's some bad shit. So, yeah. And the interesting thing is, uh, the reason I'm kind of tiptoeing around the situation with Ed Murray is because he did do some very progressive things. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And 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 it's always difficult when people uh, allegedly break laws and, and, and things to remove their public selves from that. If they've mm-hmm. been if they've been success i think i think there's there's some of that in the uh the andy weiner story or anthony weiner story oh yeah i think that's a guy who who uh politically was 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 a good leader for our country and for the district he represented but at a personal level is has problems and he to some degree might have been committing crimes if you know, yeah the baby one or whatever people decided or the, the age of some of the his interactions but that's a weird line to have to walk because you have to separate that from the work they did and not that we need people who are creating crimes in these positions, but that um, we, the work that gets completed, Ed Murray did some work that we need to recognize. And, uh, and that's, that's just a difficult thing you have to do at this point. It's weird. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I definitely like, uh, because I saw him in some forums. There was a forum at Town Hall that he was there with Nikita Oliver. It was about housing and stuff. And he was talking about how there was uh, 40,000 more units or, like, affordable housing units or something in a metro area that has grown to have, like, 700,000 like 700, people yeah. from, like, 600,000 10 years ago. So Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and th- and that and that's happened before. Like I I did uh, experience a political downfall when I was in Oregon because I've been really appreciative of the Kate Brown administration in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. and she's serving as one of the first declared bisexual governors. Oh wow. Or legislative leaders in in general. She was Secretary of State prior. Damn. <clears throat> and uh, represented East Portland, which I lived in for a while, so I voted for her several different times. Um her rise to governorship was because of a scandal that removed the previous governor, Kitzhaber, who served two separate terms similar to what McGinn is trying to do. Served oh, four years okay. as governor, then uh, Kulingoski served, and then Kitzhaber returned oh, okay. to serve four years and was removed when he resigned 
after a scandal where he uh, paid what an affair which li- later led to his new wife um, money to videographer kind of his governorship. And there was several hundred thousand dollars, and so there was a conflict of interest. And that was oh, the scandal wow. that took him down. That being said, Kitzhaber was an amazing um, middle-of-the-road progressive conservative. Okay. Um, he was from a conservative area of Oregon and led a very liberal state Ooh. with very liberal conservative values and, and was able to kind of walk a line that not a lot of politicians have been able to do on the West Coast wow. where they can appease people like ranchers and, and agri- I need to look into him because that's what I feel like is what needs to happen. But then, like I said, so like I said, we, we, we can look at him and he is a good example of a political career. And then he has these personal faults. So, yeah. so we're and and it's the dynamic we're going to keep seeing as as this media cycle gets faster and faster and faster. I mean, it's up to the second already, but it's even going faster. We're learning more about people every day. Um personal struggles and scandals are going to become more the norm. That's true. Because we're going to know more. I mean, the, the reality is it's not more congressmen are buying prostitutes than ever before. It's we're finding out of the prostitutes the congresspeople have already been doing. Oh, like, yeah. Back in the early, like, 1900s. Or uh, the, like, even the 70s, I feel like. Yeah. There's a bunch of shit we're never going to know. Oh, no. I was going to say, there was even brothels in Washington, D.C. But, and before it became all nice and broody. Right. 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 It was a trashy place. It's like uh, the, punch, <laughs> the punchline of a Dave Chappelle joke. Where he's like, I don't know, white people treated Washington, D.C. strange. In the 80s, they're just looking over at it from binoculars from Virginia like, nope, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's because it was like Dave Chappelle was stating how what you're saying is like the D.C. area was, was a bad place to live. Yeah. You know, it was low income. It was it was crime. It was murder city. Murder yeah. capital was the statement people, and it was because yeah. it was the lar- most murders in the eighties, other than New York at some points. Um, so they called it murder city, murder capital. But yeah, that all being digressed, uh, we're in that situation right now in Seattle. We have a personal uh, situation that's removing our leader, and now we have these candidates that are going to go. We don't know the future. Any of these people could later turn out to embezzle funds or... That's true. You never know. You know, have other personal struggles. And so, you know, nobody's perfect. And uh, you you just... Everyone that we're getting in every election so far, at least at this point in America, is temporary. Mm -hmm. So even if we pick bad people, the system is there so that we can replace them. That That is very true. So we have one more uh, to go. This is Carrie Mumina. Uh, she is the person the stranger says you should vote for mayor. Okay. And, um, and as far as the Wikipedia site is concerned, more, more on the fringe side, not a specific article written yet. So, Oh, interesting. So, um, she definitely hasn't more of a local presence in the sense that um, I've heard of her. And, you know, I wasn't familiar with all of them. So, Carrie Moon, uh, what are some statements you have? Since, I mean, all I have is one sentence. Democrat, uh, activist, urban planner. <laughs> yeah, so she she worked as an engineer for a while, and then she got bored of that, and then so she went back to school to become an urban planner. So she definitely has a good mix of things that do the infrastructure part uh-huh. of um, uh, 
my the my role. My school of public policy was in a a division that's like basically akin. The next side is is urban planning. So I worked with a lot of people that were going to school for urban planning. Oh, nice. And what what kind of things did they learn? Um, they so they take they the things that we crossed over on are like legislative le- legislative behaviors. So ways that they can take the projects that they're working on and get them passed through city areas mm-hmm. um the, which is in my side i was in public policy writing that's why i was in those classes and then their specific classes ones that i didn't necessarily took i took one urban development and planning class okay um their side would talk specifically about actual project management um the types of projects that need urban planning leaders um the types of uh, ideologies that are applied and the regions and areas that those ideologies might be applied so for instance on the west coast or in the more progressive cities of the west coast um green building and and efficiencies and stuff are very important in the urban planning development side um you get to places like uh rural areas and cost just simply cost becomes the biggest concern because um people keep a lot of track of the dollar and so um it, you know it mm-hmm. it depends on where you're from but yeah urban planners are are an interesting bunch they're they're like architects but with like a bigger vision cuz it's architects might work on one particular building or f- at a time an urban planner might be working on a 20 year plan that includes 100 buildings you know so what more do we have on Miss Moon? Uh, so she's definitely a really strong progressive. Like every time she's on stage, she constantly speaks to a lot of things that Nikita Oliver and um, uh, Bob Hasegawa were talking about as well. I feel like those three are all on the and Justin as well too. When they're talking about making public housing as built the fix for um, our housing affordability crisis and i feel like with that her urban planning and her engineering roles together would be like optimized in a role like that where she could say okay so how can we build out because we just changed um our zoning but i feel like it's still like you you see like the sea of red was small before and it's gotten bigger but it's only gotten bigger by a little bit and so i would love to see her do something where it's where they can even go more spread out where you can have multifamily homes. Cause it feels like it goes from every kind of main thoroughfare and maybe only about like three or four blocks out Okay, from there. And, and that's what, what program is that that you're saying? That's like the, no, no, no. That That's when we rezoned. Oh, rezoned, rezoned for housing and okay. everything like that. So, okay. And uh, that we, that we're currently living under, like there's been a rezoning or that you're yeah, saying there's been a rezoning. Okay. Huh. And well, the, and the rezoning that they did was supposed to help with the affordability crisis. Okay. But right now I'm thinking what they did currently isn't enough. Gotcha. And I feel like Carrie Moon would do a good job of looking at the broad scope of it, seeing the forest for the trees and figuring out how to maybe replant the forest and figuratively so and everything. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and the the dual, yeah, urban planning and engineering is an interesting um combination uh especially in seattle being such a techno uh, tech city it's like uh she might have some uh some communication with some of these firms like the amazons like the intels like the boeings and through that kind of uh engineer's lens maybe be able to get through to to what they're doing because they're you know mm-hmm. they operate you know definitely on a 
I, I, there's a lot of engineers that work for those companies. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And one of her big things that I had to remember because she talked about it a lot is that she wants to tax real estate speculators or uh, as the stranger uh, as the stranger says, rich assholes who buy property in the city without actually living here. And that would generate cash for the city while deterring the practice that drives up housing costs. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what Vancouver did. And now they just they GTFO'd. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and yeah, and that's Vancouver, B.C., as opposed to another Vancouver in our state. Right. Yes. Yes. Not Vancouver, Washington or Mm -hmm. suburb of Portland. Suburb. (laughs) Very much. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Uh, What do we have from her uh, own mouth? Alrighty. Hi, I'm Carrie Moon. I'm an engineer and urban planner, a mom to two wonderful kids, and I led an award-winning effort that saved 22 acres of public land on Seattle's waterfront. I'm running for mayor because Seattle needs someone from outside the system to make big changes to ensure our city is a place everyone can afford and call home. I've spent decades working on solutions to urban challenges, and I've got concrete plans to tackle the challenges facing Seattle. To take on the crisis of housing affordability, my plan will tax wealthy speculators driving up housing costs and put that money into affordable housing so not only the rich can afford to live here. I've got plans to improve transit and welcome houseless folks back inside because the status quo is morally unacceptable. I will get these plans implemented because I'm not beholden to the political establishment, big developers or corporations. I'll fight for the well-being of all of us and for this city we all love. All right, everyone, of course, ringing the affordable housing bell, and right, and also everyone, ding, uh, ding, 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 uh, saying uh, for the most part that it's a city that everyone should be welcome and live in, and like, be, right, be yeah, that's why it's like it's hard, yeah. like this race, yeah, and like we found out when I kind of checked that Wikipedia to see that that the the declared uh, p- political siding of, of these main candidates is all Democrats, so. They're definitely coming from ideologies very similar, um, other than Nikita Oliver, the first one we portrayed, which is of the declared People's Party. So that is a, a new third party, as you would describe it, although, right. although there's a hundred different parties that represent people all throughout this country. But, but you know. basically, you could just call them progressive Democrats. Like R- Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a Green Party member for a while. <laughs> I guess that has some establishment more so than some. Libertarians, I guess, have some establishment to some degree, but... Um, there is a Green Democrat listed here under Tom Gunn, who's Tom runs Gunn. who wants to run under limit growth and oppose the Califor- Californication of Seattle. <laughs> Actually, the, the Cali- I can see the Californication of Seattle being a thing. Like that's the tech bro thing. No, yeah. that makes sense. All right. Like well, I feel like even some of the the ones uh, that seem kind of in the fringe. Mm-hmm. N- they are speaking to things that are plaguing Seattle as well, just maybe not in a more indirect way instead of a direct way. Yeah. No, I, I, I can uh, I can definitely see that. Well, man, um, I, I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, I guess um, just for a quick little fun divergence, um, I've looked up uh, some movies that uh, involve mayors. Oh, um, and uh, the ones that came up uh, immediately on uh, uh, Google are, are kind of confusing because there's a lot of like side ones. But uh, a mayor plays a big part in the movie Jaws. 
Mm. Because uh, remember, the mayor keeps the beach open. Oh, yeah. Even though Sheriff Brody tries to tell um, tell him that there's been there's been too many uh, shark attacks to be doing that, but he leaves the the beach open. Uh, otherwise, they've got uh, there's a documentary on Ed Koch, who was a uh, mayor of uh, uh, of New York at one point. Oh uh, yeah. And uh, there's a movie, The Enforcer, with Clint Eastwood that's listed here. I have no idea how that involves a mayor, but m- maybe he, uh, he 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 visits one in a, in a western town. But uh, there we go, little light lighthearted thing. I would say out of that statement, go watch Jaws again. Yeah, there you go. There you go. See a mayor trying his best, but making a big mistake, and and realizing in the end, he needs to yield to the experts. And they saved the day. <laughs> right? Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, sometimes you need a bigger boat. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, that's true. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's the uh, – uh, do you have any other – I mean, obviously grow their brain by uh, studying their ballot, and especially if they live in the King County, Seattle area and have the ballot in front of them that we have. Uh, any other information you want to give to the potential voter or listener? Um, all I want to say is like n- the conclusion I've drawn from all this is, uh, I definitely there's four candidates I definitely want to see in the primary, and uh, that is Nikita, Bob, uh, Justin, and Carrie. Those are the those are the ones that I would be very happy to see in the primary, and I, or sorry, in the general because they're already in the primary. Um. And, Mm, and I would hope whoever gets picked out of them, I, w- I would hate for them to have to go up against each other because I feel like, or if they did go up against each other, that say if it was like Carrie and Nikita, that Carrie would hire Nikita for something or Nikita would hire Carrie for something if one of them got picked. Same thing with Bob or Jessa and Jessen, like if they went up against anybody. So that's what I kind of want to see more of a progressive coalition happen because of this. Because I feel like because they all share similar ideas and in each, I feel like each one has a nugget that you can grab and put it into the whole thing. And then that'll create this kind of gestalt way for Seattle to progress into the future. Well, and uh, it's more than likely going to be a tight race. Yeah. So if you have a strong feeling towards a candidate, vote for them because your vote isn't going to count. It's really going to count this time. It really is. Because these percentage, just based on us and the amount of knowledge we have about who we would care to run our city, this is going to be tough. Yeah. You know, and I mean, obviously there's personal votes, but then if you want to vote for someone you actually think has a real shot at getting elected and also stands for your values, there's there's going to be a couple to choose from Yeah. in that category alone. So... Uh, it's, it's going to be tough. And as always, there's no perfect person to vote for it. You know, we're all, we all have our faults and values and, uh, and you know, they're just, they're getting elected, but they're really getting hired and they're just getting Mm -hmm. hired to do a job. And just like that, they can maybe quit if they don't feel it's what they need to be doing, or we might fire them if they're not doing it right. So we just got to remember that. And, uh, I got, I got one little funny clip here to remind you of that sheriff brody saying we're gonna need a bigger boat 
Because uh, Joel's huge, y'all. <clears throat> we need a bigger boat to take on the problems that face and plague our cities like Seattle. They are the jazzes of our current situation. And uh, with that, is there anything else um, you got for the people, man? Uh, I think next week we will talk about the city council positions. It'll be like two days before you need to put your ballot in the ballot box, but... You know, if you want to wait until then, we'll talk about Seattle C- Council, Seattle City Council positions eight and nine. Uh, if you want to look up some people uh, for number eight, look up Charlene D. Strong, Rudy Panyocha, uh, Sarah E. Nelson, Shelley Seacrest, John Grant, Teresa Mosquera, Hisam Goil, and Mac McGregor. And for the ninth position, it is Ty Pethy, Polly Gugliani, Ian Affleck Oksh. Uh, David Preston, uh, Eric W. Smiley, M. Lorena Gonzalez, and Pat Murakami. There you go. All right, man, Chaz, we've uh, we've waded our feet through the waters of the mayor race. Uh, we'll take a little look into the council next week. Good hanging out with you, man. Yeah, you too. Have yourselves a good week. That's Peace. right. Take care. Peace.